Reach Young Adult Ministry Sermons online from Tuesday, February 11th, 2020 by Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, entitled Biblical Sex, The Identity of Femininity from Genesis 2.15-25. series of lessons tonight about biblical sexuality, about um, who God made us to be, right? Sex as in the uh, adjective, not the verb. Um, who did God make us to be? Who did, who, uh, we, so this is important. This is really important because we live in a generation of people that um, everything is fluid and there are no absolutes. And so for us who are believers in Christ, we need to understand that in order for us to have a mature perspective about the world, we've got to understand where we start from. Okay, so for us, for REACH, this year is the year of transformation, right? So we've started to do some new things. We've started to set aside the first Friday of the month to fast over our lunch period and to pray, to pray for each other and pray for this ministry and what God is doing in our lives. We have uh, started to take uh, outreach more seriously, and uh, I had uh, a conversation with uh, Janet Kaufman just the other day about us joining them on their A to B ministry to go to North Tulsa and uh, pass out sandwiches and pray for people, Um, and also to talk to the homeless and the prostitutes and the people who are trapped in sin, um, and to give them hope. It's important for us to see not just people down the street, but also to see people across the world. And so when we started out this year, we began by talking about how we have other young adults who are our age who are serving overseas. Uh, We have uh, right now missionaries full-time in the Middle East and also in in Europe, in France. And so uh, we have talked about the importance of missions and how we need to be involved um, around the world. Uh, some of you are interested in going to Nicaragua with me, and I think that's awesome. And I think God is gonna is gonna bear fruit through that uh, through that mission trip. And I want to challenge you that if you have not, uh, if God has spoken to your heart about serving in missions, um, I want to challenge you. The money that money is the worst possible excuse that you possibly could have to not be obedient, um, be, because our God is not a God of finite resources. He is a God of infinite resources, and that if you tell him, essentially, that you can't afford something, what you're saying is that you don't believe that he is God. And so if you feel like God is calling you to to go overseas on mission trips or even to do something here in the United States, I want to challenge you that our God does not deal with small things. So if he's going to give you a God-sized problem, if he's going to give you a God-sized calling, he's going to give you God-sized resources. So... So for, uh, for this year, we started out by talking about our need for transformation. The root, uh, the, the basis verse for this year is, is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And we've been talking about how as we live out our faith as living sacrifices and we lay ourselves on the altar daily, what ends up happening is that we don't conform to the world around us, but God begins to transform our mind to see things through a, a heavenly perspective. Not only do we see things through God's perspective, but we also begin to understand and know the will of God. The number one question I get from young adults every day is, I want to know what God's will is for my life. The answer is, you have to be a living sacrifice in order order to know that. 
Can't get around it. You have to die to yourself. And so part of our, uh, our year is understanding who we are in our need for transformation. So last week we looked at the men. We looked at uh, what God said, God's word says about what a godly man is, that, that a godly man is a good shepherd. He's a, he is someone who uh, protects those that he is in charge of, and he stewards them, and he makes sure that they are taken care of. He dies. The biblical model is the man dies so that everyone else can live, so that his family can live. And so now we're going to look at what it means to be a godly woman. Now, I don't know if you all um, understand this or not, you ladies who are here, but God has given you a very powerful place in his story. In fact, the contribution of women through the gospel has been vastly underrepresented in a lot of writing and a lot of uh, scholarly work. And just recently, through the last several centuries, um, history and historians have begun to catch up to what women actually contributed to God's story. Um, it's pretty incredible to see uh, the, how God has intentionally loved his daughters. For instance, we're going to look at Eve the, uh, this evening and uh, who she was before the fall of sin. And uh, what's interesting to me is that we all know that Eve was the first one to take the fruit. Uh, we're going to look at that next week about the fall of man and how God is redeeming us and how marriage is a picture of that. Um, but I think it's very intentional that when Jesus rises from the dead, when the, when, the, when the covenant has been fulfilled and sin has been paid for, the very first people that see him are women. I can just imagine in my sanctified imagination, heaven, God is standing next to Eve, and he says, sweetheart, watch this. This girl right here, your daughter, she's going to be the first one to tell those men, the apostles, that Jesus has risen from the dead. She is the first one that gets to speak the miracle of the gospel. Your daughter gets that honor. Why? Because I love you. And all of the life that you lived on earth it all happened for a reason so that I could point to this moment in time and say, sweetheart, I love you. God has an incredible place in his heart for his women, for his daughters. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is, a, is part of the creation story. God is placing man in the garden he, um, he creates the world. Uh, there's a couple of different references to the creation story in God's word. The first is in Genesis, obviously, and then, and then the second is in John chapter 1, where, where the apostle John says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he made everything. And there was nothing that was made that was not made through him. So let me give you the setting here. So in the beginning... Everything is dark. There is no sun. There is no moon. There is no creation. It says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, meaning that the Holy Spirit was present. And John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus, the Son, the Word, was the one who created physical matter. And so when it says, 
When God said, let there be light, that was Jesus speaking those words. When he says, let there be a separation from the heavens to the earth, that is Jesus who speaks those things. And so we are made in Jesus' image. This flesh that you feel on your, on your body has been made in Jesus' image. You have been made in the image of God. You are body, you are soul, you are spirit. Okay, Just like he is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are made in three parts. So God creates this garden and the crown, the crowning piece. He makes all of this wilderness. He creates all of these creatures. He makes, makes this incredible creation. And he says, okay, Jesus says to the, to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. Let us make a male in our image. So God scoops up a piece of earth and he fashions man out of earth. And he breathes into him life. And he places him in this garden. He gives the man a job. He tells him, I want you to name these beasts. I want you to subdue this earth. I want you to cultivate it and bring it into order. That is your divine right. You are the divine orderer of creation. Right? You go around the world. Man has dominion over creation. There are not animals putting people in cages around the world, right? You're never going to see a chimpanzee putting a saddle on a human being and riding them around. It doesn't work that way, right? We ha- Although that would be kind of humorous to, to see, but life doesn't work that way. Mankind has been given dominion over creation. And so God places man in the garden. He gives him these jobs, and he says, hey, there's, there are boundaries here. Remember? Last week we talked about how, how God put man on the earth to establish boundaries around creation and to protect and cultivate creation. God gives man a job. He says, I want you to take care of this creation. Also, understand that one of these trees in the garden, you can eat all of the trees that you want, but this one tree is, is reserved. You can't eat of this tree. Because in this tree lies a choice. You can either walk with me in the cool of the morning, and have sweet, unhindered fellowship with me, or you can choose to not. And so God lays out all of these commands before the woman is even made, before she's even created. And we're going to look at what that looked like whenever God presented Eve to his man. So this passage details the creation of woman and her place in creation. She's Adam's easer, his divine helper, she was placed in the garden to come alongside the man and to accomplish the command that the Father gave him to subdue the earth. Understand that a woman is an amplifier. Ladies, you are an amplifier. I'll explain that here in a minute. She is a divine helper. But when sent into the world, everything was bent and changed. And as a result, we see God's redemption in the relationship between man and woman play out in the institution of marriage. Okay, let's start reading here. We'll read the whole passage, and then we'll come back and we'll take it piece by piece. Starting in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat of it, 
you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal, every bird of the air, of the air and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and bonds to his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame. The first thing I want you to see is that God recognized the need for a woman. Look at verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day that you eat of it, you will certainly die. Look at verse 18. He says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Notice that the, that the command to subdue creation, it came before the woman existed. So there are two ways that we're going to look at this tonight. There is the godly way that God has designed a woman to, to live and to thrive in his creation. And then there's the worldly way. And they are, they are mirror opposites of each other. Okay, so the first thing is that she recognizes that God has given the command to man. See, we live in a generation that everyone is equal, right? We're all equal. We're, we're not different. We're exactly the same. But God's word says something different. We each have a role to play, right? To some, he gave certain jobs, and to others, he gave other jobs. And so, before Eve even comes on, this, on the scene, God gives him a divine command. A godly woman sees that the command to subdue creation came before her, and therefore it is not hers to take up. It is actually reserved to the man. Because remember how men are built, right? We talked about the nothing box last time. Okay, let's talk about you ladies, right? So, if you guys missed the nothing box, you'll have to go back, and when we get the podcast up, you can listen to the sermon. Um, so women are described, if you've ever seen a ball of yarn that's been thrown around and it's all like all mixed up and jumbled together, kind of like that, only a woman's brain is more like a ball of wires. This one is connected to this one and this one is connected to that one and this one's connected over here and this one is connected over here and they are all live at the same time. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, we'll get, we'll get to that. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. Is that God gave you the amazing gift to consider all of the variables around you. Okay? To the point that sometimes this causes you great distress. It's like, can I not just have a nothing box, please? Please. I'm so tired of thinking about all these things. But the truth is that God made you that way on purpose. He made you that way so that you can see all of, the, all of the possible outcomes and all of the possible ways that things could go 
so that you could be a divine helper to your spouse. Let me explain this, this word helper. This is one of the most incredible hidden things I have ever discovered in Genesis chapter 2. Okay, so there is a, um, before I go into that, hey, Aaron, could you back up the slide just one time, please? So there are two books that I want to recommend to you. And if you guys want to read these, I would highly encourage it. For the guys, this book by John Eldridge called Wild at Heart. It describes the masculine soul. A lot of things that we talked about last week uh, can be found in, in Wild at Heart. Well, a few years ago, John and his wife Stacy wrote another book called Captivating. Captivating is uh, pretty incredible, and it describes how God made women. And if you are looking for an audiobook to listen to or a book to read that will help you dive a little bit deeper into this, I would encourage you to pick up one of these two books, either Wild at Heart or Captivating by the Eldridges. Okay, let's go back. Go back to this word, helper. Now, the old school word that you might remember is help meet, whatever that means, help meet. And we have this idea somehow in, uh, I don't know how it's crept into our, our uh, understanding, but it's really, just, helper is really not exactly correct as a translation. So the word that's translated helper or help meet or, or, um, or other, other types of ways, it's the, it's the Hebrew word ezer. Okay, let me tell you about this word ezer. So God looks down and he sees Adam in the garden and he says, it's not good that man's alone. Now bear in mind, there's no sin here, right? So Adam is literally walking with God every day. He's got the perfect quiet time. Literally walks with God, walks with Jesus in the garden every day. No distractions by sin, no social media to distract him in the morning when he gets up, nothing. Like he is just walking with God, no distractions whatsoever. And God says, you know what? It is not good. It's not good. He said, I'm going to make a helper for him, an easer for him. It's spelled E-Z-E-R. Every other use of the word easer in the Bible, every single one, is in connection to God supplying supernatural, divine, military help in a time of national distress. Think about that. You ladies are an easer. Let me, let, me, let me describe it this way. So we've all seen the movie where like the, the it all is almost lost, the battle is almost over, and the good guys are about to lose, right? But in comes the cavalry. We never thought they were going to show up, but they're here. And they, they help swing the battle overwhelmingly to the good guys. That's a picture of you. This is the power that you possess as women. You have an incredible power to amplify what God is doing in the lives of the people around you. Now, this is a blessing, but it also can be a curse because that means that the things that you touch, the things that you interfere with, they magnify. Do you understand how incredibly powerful that is and how responsible you must be in order to wield that power. Our whole culture is built, the world is built on this idea of female sexuality. 
the power of the woman's form. There, are, there has been art since the beginning of time created, not in the male form, because let's be honest, it's not that great to look at, but because there is something powerful about the form of a woman. There's a reason why you have an innate magnetism to you. There is a reason why God made you this way. Because you are a divine amplifier. Military aid. Think about this. There is nothing safe about how God made you. Nothing. If you are an easer, if you are divine military help in, the, in a time of national emergency and distress, that means that God made you with nothing safe about you. Ladies, let me tell you something. God made you to do incredible things. And what the world wants to do is they want to convince you that you're supposed to use that power for your own selfish gain. Use your body to get what you want. Use your influence to get what you want. Use that attitude to get what you want. Use your ability to manipulate people to get what you want. The truth is that just like the man is called to contain his power in a godly way and sacrifice it for the purposes that God gave it to him, the same thing is true for you ladies. God looks down at Adam and he says, this is not enough. This is not good. This isn't Philip's opinion. This is what God said. In a perfect world, he said, it is not good that a man is alone. I am going to give him something extra. I'm going to give him a woman. And she is going to be incredible. There is nothing safe about you. Nothing. Understand that. That power is worth wielding, and it's worth wielding for the power of what God is doing in your life. See, a worldly woman, worldly femininity says that um, she doesn't need a man. In direct defiance to what God says, that man is not, it's not good that he's alone. The world says, you know what, well, ladies, you don't need a man. You just do your thing. That idea is rooted in pride rooted in a closed fist, that I don't need you. But what we don't, what we don't acknowledge, though, is that, that that is built on insecurity. See, a godly woman is one who knows who she is. She embraces her power. She embraces her authority. She understands that God made her for a purpose on purpose. You don't need to take up a man's responsibility to be a strong woman. You don't have to, because God didn't design you that way. There are some things that you were not built to carry, not because they're too heavy for you, but because you are not equipped. And there's nothing wrong with being different. God made you this way on purpose. A worldly woman, she's defiant. She's a defiant spirit. She's driven by pride and selfish ambition. She acts out of anger to cover her own insecurities. But she's an amplifier. Look at this. God, he provided a God-sized answer to the need, an easer. He says, God, God is looking at the garden. He sees what, he sees what man is going to face 
for the entirety of creation. God sees the fall. Remember, God doesn't see things linearly like we do, chronologically. God is not surprised. God is separate from time, so he sees everything all together. For us, we see time as a beginning and an end. We see a timeline, right? But God, when he sees time, he sees a plane. He sees a flat plane like this, like, like, a, like a sweater or, or a rug, right? All of the individual timelines are woven together. They connect, they separate, they go back and forth. He sees all of time this way. He sees it comprehensively. So when God looked at creation, he made man. He knew that he was going to send Jesus. When Jesus created Adam in his own image, he said, well, one day I'm going to come again and I'm going to submit myself to live this human life and I'm going to pay for all of these sins. I'm going to make all this right. So knowing the entirety of what God was going to do and what was going to happen in the history of the world, God said, you know what? Man needs an easer. He can't do this by himself. And so he reaches down and he creates Eve. There are some passages in Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs because it puts it, it, puts it um, a great way. See, a godly woman, she amplifies the divine power of her husband, of the men in her life. She is someone who takes the, the, the genuine sacrifice of the men in her life and she amplifies it to point people to Christ. But an ungodly woman, she abuses her strength to get what she wants. So she takes charge, right, to do what her man isn't doing. Bible, the Bible calls this a contentious woman. This is what Proverbs says about a contentious woman. It is better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. In other words, it's better to live outside in the rain and the snow and the sleet on the roof in the corner of a roof, not just the roof, but the corner of the roof. Thank you, Ethan. With a contentious woman. Like, you could slip and fall off. Let's be real here. Here's another, that's Proverbs 21.9. Proverbs 25.4 says, It's better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Here's one. This was one of my favorites. Proverbs 27.15. It says that a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. Have you ever been sitting somewhere and you hear a drip, 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 drip? And it's like, Ugh, I am so tired of this. It's irritating. You can't make it stop. Continual dripping. Right? You know, here's the thing. The power of water dripping. Have you ever been in a cave where water drips? Right? So not only do, you know, stalactites grow from the ceiling because of the water that's dripping, but also there are giant chasms in these, in these caves that a single drip of water over years and years and years creates a massive hole. A contentious woman is one who, she defies her God-given authority. She fights back and takes, takes the mantle from her man. She does what she's got to do to survive because girl power, man. It's a man's world, but I'm going to take it back. But what she does is she grinds herself. She grinds herself with the people that are around her. And guess what? Contentious women become lonely women. Because there is nothing in this life more irritating than a contentious woman. Those aren't my words. 
That's what God's word says. Think about that. You use your strengths and your gifts, your, your, your divine power for God's purposes, and you amplify the good things and the godly things in your life, and you bring life, literally bringing life. God gave you the power to reproduce. Man cannot do that. That is a gift, believe it or not. It is a gift. But on the other side of things, if you use your strength for your own benefit, selfishly, Scripture says that it's better for someone to live outside in the elements and be close to falling to hurt themselves than to be around you. Consider that. Now we're getting into real issues here. The other thing about a lady, a contentious woman, so women are amplifiers, right? So they amplify the culture around them. So if you have an ungodly man in your life, you're an amplifier, okay? You're submitting to him, to what he wants. Guess what? You amplify that. It grows around you. You can see this reflected. You can tell the character of a man by his wife. You can tell the character of a man and his wife by their children. Remember, a good shepherd is one where his sheep know his voice. A hireling is one who pounds the table and makes a bunch of noise to get people's attention because he hasn't earned the right for them to listen to him. His woman amplifies that truth. Ladies, this is why it's so important to understand the men that you allow into your lives because you amplify those things. If he's immature, if he's selfish, if he's driven by what he wants himself, guess what? You're going to amplify those things. If he is godly and he sacrifices himself and he gives himself and he dies and he's a living sacrifice and he is continually over and over and over again protecting you and giving himself up for you like Christ loved the church, you will amplify that to people. Consider that. I know that there, is, there are all kinds of thoughts in your head about Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I, I'm, I'm getting so old. I'm 23 years old. I'm 24 years old. I'm so old. I'm never going to get married. I'm just going to be alone and I'm going to be a contentious woman and I'm going to be dripping. <laughs> but let me assure you, let me assure you, your fear is not right. Your fear is ungodly. Okay, we know based on Genesis chapter 2, did God say it is not good for a person to be alone? Yes, he did. Now there is, there's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. There is a calling to singleness. There is. But that's not the default. Let me ask you a question. If the God of the universe who made you like this, who made you an easer, a divine military help in the time of national distress, who knows your heart, who knew every breath that you were going to take before you came out of your mother's womb, who knew every day that you were going to live, who packaged surprises in your life along the way to show you that he loves you, you're his baby girl, do you think that he is going to leave you 
that he doesn't have the best interest at heart for you, that he knows exactly what you need, this is not a problem that you need to fix. This is not a problem that you can fix. And if you try, what's going to happen is you're going to absorb all of these things and you are going to amplify them in your life. All of these negative things, all of these terrible things that are driven by sin and selfish ambition and pride, and you will amplify them. And the very thing that you think that you're getting, you think that you're dealing with your loneliness, what you're truly going to get is true loneliness because this is not where true life comes from. You cannot fix this problem. It's not yours to fix. This is not your job. It's not. God made you to be a God-sized answer to what he is doing in the world. Don't cheapen it by trying to fix it yourself. Don't cheapen the, the, the greatness that God has placed in front of you. Because here's the thing. You will never be satisfied. You will never be satisfied with a life that you can build on your own. Because let's be honest. You are not that smart. Told the guys this last week, guys, you are not this smart. Ladies, the same with you. I'm telling you, you are not capable of creating a life that you think is going to fulfill you like you need to be fulfilled. The only one that can do that is the Lord. The only one that can do that is the one who designed you to be an easer. But you know, I think what's interesting is that God made man, but he didn't tell him that he had a need. He let him realize it for himself. Look at what he says here in verses 19 and 20. It says, The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever a man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal, but for the man, no helper, no easer, was found suitable for him. You know, what's interesting is that God, a lot of times, he will put us in a situation and he'll give us a job and he'll wait to watch for our obedience. And he will wait for us to realize what it is that we actually want, what we actually need. He could have told Adam, hey, by the way, um, you know, your woman's coming. You know, I, I ordered her on Amazon. She'll be here in a couple days. Just you do this. I'll keep you busy, and then she'll be here, right? He didn't do that. He said, Adam, here's your job. You take care of creation. You name these animals. Side note here, the reason why God gave Adam the responsibility to name the animal was, animals was to prove to him that he had dominion over creation. See, God could God will tell you things, hey, this is what I've made, this is what I've planned for you, this is what I've got for you. But He will always provide an opportunity for you to live that out. To show you this is what I'm doing in your life. But the thing about Adam here is that he is living maturely with God, and he's beginning to see God is putting on display for him his need. See, right now, you may be in a season of life where you think, God, this is what I need. I know what I need. Just give it to me. But the truth is that you have no idea. 
You think you know what you need, but you have no clue. Proverbs uh, 37, 3 and 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what's interesting in that, in that psalm is that there are four things that God commands to do. Trust in the Lord. Understand that he is in control and you are not. Do good. Be diligent where you are. Do your job. Don't worry about the planning. Don't worry about the God stuff. Do your job. Do good. Dwell in the land. Be content to name the animals. Don't worry about your partner. Don't worry about what's going to come next. Don't worry about the next season of your life. Don't worry about anything down the road. You name the animals. You be content and live where I placed you. You may be thinking, you know what? I think God made a mistake with me. Clearly, I'm not supposed to be here right now. I'm supposed to be somewhere else doing some other thing. I'm supposed to be at college at some university. I'm supposed to have some sort of job. I'm supposed to have some sort of family, drive some sort of car, have some sort of house, have whatever. You fill in the blank. But the truth is that you are running. You're running from the truth that God is making you stay still to name the animals. And you are defiantly telling him, no, I want to do what I want to do because I know what I want. And you're a liar. That's what you're saying to the Lord. You are a liar. And I don't trust you. We are called to trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land. And after we've done all three things and learned these three things, naming the animals and waiting, we begin to realize that in the process, we feed on his faithfulness. And those three things that were so difficult to us in the moment, they become the things that we, that we crave and we strive for. Because God made you to work this out. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, and then it says, he will give you the desires of your heart. Because before we get through step one, your heart is not ready for what he truly has for you. And in the process of being a living sacrifice, of putting it all in the line, he changes your perspective. You learn to be content where you are. You learn to be diligent where you are, where you're assigned, and you feed on his faithfulness. And lo and behold, on the backside of it, your mind is transformed, and guess what? You want what he wants. And when he gives it to you, it is the sweetest thing. Trust me when I tell you. There is a season in your life, there will be multiple seasons of your life, where God knows what you need, and he's going to put you in a position where you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. He's going to give you a job, and your job is not to worry about the next thing. Your job is to worry about what he's given you to do right now. Ladies, this is a truth for you. You are exactly where you are supposed to be. No matter what decisions led you to this place. So he lets, he lets man realize that he needs a helper. See, ungodly femininity, she defies that she came from a man. 
So she tries to take his place. She doesn't believe in unity through diversity, but rather in independence and self-sufficiency. She tries to take the creation mandate from Adam, but that only leads to contention. See, a godly woman realizes that she's been placed in a, in a position on purpose because she has, a mature, she has a mature reason for being there. God doesn't make mistakes, and he doesn't make junk either. So you can take that idea in the back of your head that some, somehow you're not worthy, and I want you to throw it away. And when it gets back in your head, I want you to throw it away again. Because here's the truth, daughters of Eve. You are a divine helper. The Bible says that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. God is working things out in your life that you cannot even possibly imagine right now. And the longer that you fight the way that God made you to be, the more frustrated and tired you're going to be. Because you can't change the truth. And no matter how you feel, facts and truth don't care about your feelings. Feelings make great companions, but they make lousy leaders. Look at what happens when God uh, creates Eve. Look at verses 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over Adam, and, she, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh that in that, at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought, and, and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one. I can just, I can picture Adam. So God has given him all these creations, all these, all these animals, right? God's brought them before him. He's like, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, cool. Goes through all the animals. But when he sees Eve, he goes, this one, this one, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman. Notice that God gives Adam the authority to name Eve. God doesn't name Eve. Adam does. Remember what we talked about last week? How God made men? God made men to be protectors, to have dominion. Because they will be responsible at the end. When the judgment comes, guess who is going to bear the brunt of the judgment? The men. Why? Because they have been given a divine authority to protect and die for creation. And if you don't die, guess what? Your life will be taken from you because you have wasted it. Gentlemen, some of you are wasting your life. God's given you a divine reason to exist and you refuse to pick it up. You are more interested in being a child than being a mature man. You're more interested in playing games than chasing Jesus. You'd rather go and spend food out for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because it's only a couple of bucks, but the, real, but the reality is $5 for breakfast, lunch, and dinner adds up to a lot of money at the end of the month. And guess what? There are places that God wants you to be obedient that you are not being obedient because you can't say no to yourself. Men will give an account for everything 
that they do. God gives Adam even dominion over Eve. See, remember, the mandate doesn't change. The mandate happened before Eve was even a creation. But when God gives Eve to Adam, he gives Adam the authority and the right to name her. But here's what's interesting. Is that God creates Eve and he gives her to Adam. And the whole whole thing about how he made her. So if you notice that God doesn't go and he doesn't scoop up more dirt and create Eve. He makes her out of Adam. Why? Because God doesn't go around what he has created to cause confusion and make something else. He made one man. From that one man, he made a woman. So that they are exactly the same. They have the exact same beginning. They have the exact same breath of life. They have the exact same purpose. And together, they will display what God intends to do in creation through Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the one who is doing all of this. It signifies that Eve is not a replacement for Adam. He didn't go grab her out of the dirt, but she's a part of him. God didn't make make Eve out of bones from his feet to be trampled on. But he made her from his side to be, to be right next to him, a divine amplifier, to put God's work and will on display to creation. That as he subdued the earth, as he lived out his divine mandate, she was right there with him. I cannot tell you. I've been married now, uh, in June it'll be 16 years, to my wife, Lindsay. Um, and... Um, you know, at first, it is very frustrating to be married to a woman. Um, because y'all are so stinking smart. You think about all kinds of things all the time. It's crazy. My wife can run circles around me when she's analyzing things. Right? She can. She just is, is smart like that. But here's the thing, is that when you're first married you kind of take that as a challenge and you think that your job is to make the other person do what you want. And you don't really realize the, the strength that God's given you in a spouse. And I want to encourage you that God made, um, he made all of us to be encouragers and build others up. And ladies, God has made you with a divine ability to be able to process all kinds of things. But that power is not something to be taken for granted or to use as a weapon. If you see a man who is dominated by a woman, it's because both of them are living outside of what God created them to be. See, a true mature believer is someone who realizes that the strengths that they've been given are not weapons to beat beat other people into submission. They're actually tools to build people up. A hammer can be used to build incredible things but it also can be used to tear down mountains. Understand that the strength and the tools that God gives you are not weapons. They are resources to be used responsibly. See, when God presents Eve to Adam, the word Adam in in Hebrew is ish. The word for woman in, in Hebrew is isha. And they are opposite. It literally means man the definition here is man 
opposite of woman, ish. Isha, woman, opposite of man. Literally the opposite. Why is that important? It's important for us to realize that there are things that you ladies can do that we men cannot do. And I can't resent you for that. There are things that my wife can do that I cannot do, and I cannot resent her for that strength. By the same token, there are things that I can do that she cannot do. That she, cannot res- she can't resent me for my strength. A mature person is one who sees that God has made us differently to work towards a common purpose. Right? You can't berate someone who has a gift that you don't have and tell them that they're less valuable than you because you can't do what they do. It's not how this works. Woman is the opposite of man. She is the other side of of the creation coin. Everything that he lacks, she possesses. Also, he holds what she does not. She is defined by a multitude of focuses and mental strength. She is process-driven and thinks completely comprehensively. And him, he is task-driven. The boxes, right? One box at a time. Baby, give me a box. Okay, I'm going to go mop the floor. Give me a box. I'm going to go fold this laundry. Give me a box. I'm going to do the dishes. Okay. Just give me a box. Cool. We're doing this together. Meanwhile, she is thinking about all this other stuff that's going on. We've got to trust each other's strengths. See, the world fights to make women independent from a man. Instead of working toward the biblical model of reconciliation, a woman is called to make herself independent and the man unnecessary. The world wants you to believe that your men are unnecessary for you. And that's not true. God gave us both a job. last thing I want to show you is that Eve is presented to Adam. And that, he, that a man is called to leave his parents. Look at verses 23 and 24. 24 23 through 25. He says, and, this, and the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she is taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they became one flesh. Both of the man and the wife were naked and yet felt no shame. See, here's the thing. I don't think that we truly understand and appreciate what God has done by making men and women. Especially in the culture that we live in today. Because what happens is that the world wants to blur these lines. Gender is fluid. Sexual orientation is fluid. There's not really absolutes. God didn't really mean that, whatever. And so what we do is we end up making all these excuses to be disobedient. But God did this on purpose. He made this on purpose to where the man dies and she lives. He made it on purpose to where she sacrifices herself and her ambition and her strength to build him up, and together they point everyone to Jesus. So, you know, um, I'm amazed at women. I really am. I've got two daughters at home. Uh, We just went to freshman orientation to the freshman academy at Jinx High School uh, yesterday, last night. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. It was like, it was honestly like college orientation. It was insane. Um, Her and 950 other students are going to be going into the Freshman Academy next year. Um, Here's something that I've realized. This whole Good Shepherd thing and 
dads and their daughters. So uh, here's an interesting little thing. So I read a book a few years ago by Dr. James Dobson, and it's called Bringing Up Girls. And in the book, he, he says that, uh, that when, a, when a girl enters puberty, when her body begins to change, um, she will actually begin to emit a pheromone, believe it or not, um, an odorless pheromone that her father, who's bonded to her, only he can smell. This is crazy. Only he can pick this up. And biologically, in response, the father will emit a corresponding pheromone that will help her regulate her biochemistry. Mood swings, cycle, everything. The physical presence of her father will actually even out her body. Isn't that crazy? So what happens? So these little So here's what happens, right? So these these little girls, daddy's girl, right? She sits on his lap. He loves her, he adores her. They hold hands when they walk into church, right? Now all of a sudden, the little girl is not a little girl anymore. Now a little girl looks like a little woman. So dad, who's not confident in himself and doesn't understand his job as a good shepherd, he begins to push her away because he feels uncomfortable in our hypersexualized culture. Don't, baby, don't come by. No, just that's, go, go talk to your mom about that stuff. And what happens? She begins to think, well, what, why does daddy not want me anymore? Why does he not want to be around me anymore? Something's wrong. Is something wrong with me? Am I what's wrong? In the absence of her father physically, causes her biochemistry to continue to go out of rhythm. And to try to figure out how to fix that, she biologically begins to try to go to other places to make that right. Here's what I've noticed with my daughters. One is 12, one is about to be 12, one's about to be 14. Is that my oldest, when she, uh, when she went through puberty, um, she was always by me. Always. If I'm walking into church, she's on my arm. If I'm sitting on the couch watching TV, she is right next to me. Like, no space in between. It's like, hey, baby, I need some space. Like, right next to me. Always. Like a duck on a June bug. She was like, what? Like a rat on a Cheeto. Like white on a rice. Right? Come on. You guys know these phrases, right? Never... Philip, your homeschool is showing. Stop. Just stop. Yeah. Sorry. I'm going to cut this part out of the sermon when I put it online. But here's what I learned. Here's what I learned. Is that the power of the connection between a man and a woman is divine. It is from heaven. And it translates, not just in your marriage, but it translates at every season of your life. So those girls who have a good shepherd for a daddy, they realize that they can trust him, that he is a refuge. When the wolf comes, he is a place they run to. But to the girls that have a hired hand as their daddy, when the wolf comes and life strikes and chaos happens and mistakes are made, 
They run because they don't know where to go. Men, there is a divine responsibility for how you use your strength. And girls, I want you to know, no matter what kind of a person, no matter what kind of a man raised you, this does not change who God made you to be. It doesn't. We live in a fallen world that has broken billions of people. And the truth is that deep down inside, when Jesus Christ looks at you, when the God of heaven and earth who fashioned both of these people, who fashioned you in your mother's womb, Psalm 139, he knit you together piece by piece. When he sees you, ladies, he does not see a frightened, insecure girl. He sees an easer. A divine helper, military aid, a dangerous creation with supernatural power to change the world. Understand that who you are is not defined by what the world says about you. Who you are is defined by what God's word says. You are an easer. You are not a possession to be held. You are not something to be manipulated and used. You have a divine purpose, and it's beyond just having children. God has given you divine power and strength to amplify the world around you, to amplify everything around you. Be careful about the things that you allow in your life. Keep your hearts with all diligence. For out of it spring all of the issues of your life. Proverbs 4.23. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he will also reap. If he sows under the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows under the Spirit, he will, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due time we will bear fruit if we do not lose heart. Ladies, God has made you for a powerful reason. Just like he made men for a powerful reason. And the fact that we're different does not diminish either of our values. Ladies, God made you on purpose for a purpose. And it is a powerful purpose. What's up, everybody? This is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at Evergreen Church. Doors open at 6.30, services at 7, at the corner of 111th and Mingo. Be sure and check us out online at reachtulsa.org, or you can find us on social media on Instagram at reach.tulsa. Also, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Bring your glory down.